I'm not sure about you, but I find myself frequently going (sighs) a sigh, a groan, something that all of us experience in our lives, times in which we just, (sighs) you see, when we sigh, when we groan, we are declaring that it's not supposed to be this way. Something is off. Something is just not right. I remember several months ago when our staff was meeting together on a Monday morning and we were interrupted with the news that a church member had tragically died. And we audibly together groaned as a staff. I said out loud, no. There is this deep-seated understanding within all of us that when we groan and when we sigh, we are declaring it's not supposed to be this way. This is not supposed to be how it goes. As trials mount up, as suffering comes, the question that every person asks is this, Is there any hope? As followers of Jesus, we can say together emphatically, yes. There is hope. There is reason we can look forward to the days that are to come. Well, where do we go to get this hope? Well, you see, Christmas is God's annual reminder that hope is not found in something or somewhere, but in someone. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He is the one to whom we, when we trust in him, he gives us hope. And that is what the Apostle Paul is pointing us to in Romans chapter 8. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, as we anticipate Christmas coming and the celebration of the birth of Jesus, it's good for us as a faith family to remind one another that indeed hope is here. We have reason to have hope that even in the midst of a chaotic crazy year, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of chaos happening around us, there is still reason for hope. When we get to the book of Romans, we encounter the the magnum opus of the Apostle Paul, rich doctrine of who Christ is and what he came to do, that indeed Jesus is the one who is the righteous redeemer, who is the one who declares righteous those who are guilty sinners like all of us. This is what the gospel is of what Christ has come to do for us. We see in Romans chapter 1 where Paul declares that all Gentiles are unrighteous. In Romans chapter 2, he declares that all Jews are unrighteous. In Romans 3, in case you didn't get in Romans 1 or Romans 2, the whole world is unrighteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who seeks God, no one who desires or goes after him. 
But there's good news. We can be justified by God through faith, Romans 4. Just look at Abraham. But our faith is not in Abraham. Our faith, Romans 5, is in Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 6, God gives you a new life. In this new life, however, Romans 7, you're going to struggle. It's a fight. Paul says, I don't do the things that I should, and I do the things that I shouldn't. Who can rescue me from this wretched body? Thanks be to God through his son, his, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even in the midst of struggle, even as you and I are waging war against our flesh as followers of Jesus, we have Romans 8, the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God who says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the, the word Spirit shows up 19 times in uh, Romans chapter 8. We see where he is, verse 2, the Spirit of life who came to set you free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit, verse 6, is life and peace for the believer. The Spirit, verse 9, is proof that you belong to Jesus. The Spirit, verse 10, gives life. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, verse 11, lives inside of you. And he will also give life to your mortal bodies. The Spirit empowers you, verse 13, to kill sin in your life. The Spirit, verse 14, leads you. The Spirit, verse 15, confirms your spiritual adoption in Christ. And what I want all of us to see this morning, that indeed hope is here, I want you to see in the text that it's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you who gives you hope. Look with me in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. The scripture says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies." Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Like a loving parent who cups their hands around the face of their child and wipes their tears away. Like a counselor who is pointing you to a better future that is to come. Like a coach who puts his arm around you to encourage you to keep going. The Spirit is the one who gives you hope in this life. 
Now, the world puts their hope in possessing temporary things, things like material wealth, relational fulfillment, and personal fame. But the God of hope offers something better. In the gospel, God provides a hope that is far greater and far more enduring than anything that this world can provide. Christmas is God's annual reminder that in the birth of Jesus, hope is here. Look with me at Romans 8, the, the three truths what we see here in the text. The first is this. We see that God's hope strengthens believers to endure suffering. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome, believers who are living in the capital city of the world. They were surrounded by grotesque sexual immorality, an insane amount of financial wealth, debased idol worship. And these Christ followers, they refused to bow their knee to Caesar. They refused to light incense in worship of Caesar as a god. No, they declared that there is a greater king than Caesar. Indeed, Jesus Christ is Lord even over the Roman Empire. The beauty what we see in the local church in the first century is that they suffered. They were committed to the gospel, but they were willing to endure. They put themselves at odds with their culture. Now, believers, they didn't have home field advantage. They didn't have religious liberty or the First Amendment to give them the right to gather. They had to endure difficulty and trial and suffering all for the sake of Christ. About 10 years ago, Christy and I had the opportunity to go to Rome on our way to Ethiopia when we picked up our sons. And while we were in Rome, we had the chance to go into the catacombs, underground tunnels that the early church dug so that they could meet there for worship. We saw where our brothers and sisters would meet together to sing, to pray, to encourage one another, and to open the letter that you have in your lap, in which they read this letter together to grow in their knowledge of the gospel, to grow in their understanding of God's doctrine as he's revealed in his word. And they were willing to endure hardship and here is Paul, verse 18, putting steel into the backbone of this church. That even in the midst of suffering, the loss of health, the loss of property, the loss of their jobs, that indeed they endured persecution, beatings, even death sentences, it doesn't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. You see, the hope of Christ burning in the hearts of God's people by the Holy Spirit, he strengthens us by hope to endure suffering so that whatever God brings our way, we can endure it because we have hope. Are you hurting today? Do you find yourself groaning over what you are having to endure do you have tears streaming down your cheeks as you suffer? Maybe you receive bad news from the doctor and you feel fear. 
Maybe the financial uncertainty of the future has you worried about your job and how you're going to provide for your family. Maybe there's someone in your life who is sick and it just seems like the hits keep coming. Maybe you're just tired of being tired and you thought, you know, it would be a lot easier if I just gave up. Beloved, Christmas is God's reminder that hope is here. You can endure in the midst of trial, not by digging deep, not by looking at your own strength, but by reminding yourself that your hope is in Christ. Your hope is in Jesus, in that little baby born in Bethlehem. And when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one who gives you hope to have strength to endure. The struggle you are in right now is not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So this morning, peer inside the manger and see the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Wonder at the child who is the son of God and the son of man. Look past Mary and Joseph and stare at Emmanuel, God who is with us. Observe the man of sorrows, the suffering servant and the root of Jesse. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and rejoice for he is your hope. And though you suffer today, Though you have pain and sorrow and grief, God is using this pain. He is using this trial, this suffering to prepare you for what is coming. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, underline those three words, do you see that? For this light momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now remember, remember 2 Corinthians 11. Paul has given us his resume of suffering. Five times he's taking whiplashings, 39 times each. Three times he's been beaten with rods. He has been stoned. He has been shipwrecked three times. One night, an entire day, out in the open sea. Here's a man who's continually in danger from Gentiles, continually in danger from Jews, continually in danger from false brothers. Here's a man who experienced nakedness, hunger, and thirst, and he had great anxiety for the churches. And yet, and yet, he says, it's light and momentary affliction. What you're experiencing right now, it may not feel light. It may not feel momentary, but it is. In light of the glory that's about to be revealed. Kenneth, where do I get my strength to endure in the midst of great suffering and difficulty? It's in the Lord Jesus Christ in which Paul here is saying what you are experiencing is light and momentary and it is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond compare. Now, when we hear the word hope, it's different in our language than it is in Scripture. 
So for us, when we use the word hope, there's usually a fraction of it that we understand means it might not happen. Like we have this hope that it will happen, but there's still like a shadow of a doubt. Kind of like, I hope I win a million dollars. Or I hope road construction ends. Or I hope Kentucky football wins a national championship. We can use the word hope, but we know, we know there's, there's a glimmer in which it, it might not happen. Well, the biblical word for hope, and I put this in your notes on the app, hope, it is certainty not yet realized. When hope is used in scripture, the understanding is that what is hope for is absolutely going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. See, before the arrival of Jesus, the saints in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the the arrival of the Messiah, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the son of David, the greater Solomon, the true temple. Where is he? This longing, this anticipation. But they knew it was certain. They knew the Messiah would one day come, and then they realized he did come on Christmas Day. Today, we have assurance and confidence in hope because, hear me on this, every promise of God in the word of God is secured by the character of God. Let me say that again. Every promise of God in the word of God is secured by the character of God. God, who cannot lie, makes promises that he will keep so that even as we suffer, we have hope in him. And mother, can I say to you this? That hope is a weapon in your arsenal to wield against the enemy's attack. As the devil seeks to discourage you, as he lies to you, as he whispers to your heart, as he manipulates, and as he attacks your faith, as he seeks to distract you from Jesus, as he seeks to prevent you from seeing the glory and the beauty of Jesus, you fight back with joy-filled hope in Jesus Christ. You fight back with hope. You hold fast because Christ is holding fast to you. Your hope is not in what is seen, but in what is unseen. For it was Jesus who was focused all the way to Jerusalem. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew he would be abandoned by his friends, arrested by the temple guard, accused by his enemies, assaulted by Roman soldiers, and nailed to a cross. But Jesus also had hope because he knew what was next. He never lost the assurance, the confident hope that he would rise again on the third day. You see, his suffering on the cross was not worth comparing with the glory that was about to be revealed. Beloved, hope in Christ. Trust in Jesus. Allow him to be the one who is your hope. 
Not your sports team, not your money, not your marriage, not your job. Christ is your hope and it's secure. And it's a weapon of warfare. As you fight back against the enemy, you are saying, Jesus is my hope. His promises are secure and I'm banking my soul upon Christ. And that is where you find your strength. It's in the gospel. And it's through Christ that you are empowered to endure suffering with joy. Secondly, what we see here in the text is God's hope whets our appetite for what is to come. In verse 19, Paul says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Okay, everything in the physical universe is longing to be transformed from the curse and its effect from Genesis 3. The question is, when is this going to take place? When will we finally get reprieve? When will we finally get arrest? Well, it's at the return of Christ. Verse 19, when God's sons are revealed, when God's people take on glorified, resurrected bodies, we will be Christ-like in our physical bodies. Paul emphasizes this coming glory in Philippians 3. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, because sin has affected and infected every part of our world, creation hopes, verse 20, creation anticipates being set free from the bondage of sin. But you see, creation is groaning, verse 22. Tornadoes and hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, famine. When we look around the world and see natural chaos, creation is groaning. Creation is crying out, Adam, where are you? But Adam has died. And creation is longing for redemption. It's longing for the day in which it will be recreated and which it will never groan again. But it's not only creation that groans, but so do we. Look at verse 23. Paul says not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. As followers of Jesus, we groan. We are longing for redemption. And as we groan, we, we groan because we suffer. We endure the pain of this world. We groan when we face difficult circumstances. And we groan over our sin. We groan over the sin of the world you turn on the TV, you look on your social media feed, you see sin being celebrated and rejoiced, and inwardly as a believer, you, oh, come on, no. But we have the exact same response as followers of Jesus when we sin. That the more I see pride in my heart, I groan. The more there's selfishness, impatience, the more I speak before I think, when I act and do something I shouldn't, there is a, ah, oh, there's a groaning. There's a deep-seated, no, it's not supposed to be this way. 
there's this sense in which that the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we groan over our own sin. But as we groan, as we lament, we are also looking forward to verse 23, final adoption. We long for the day when we're going to be glorified. We will receive the redemption of our bodies. We're going to have a full realization of our inheritance as the children of God. This is what we look forward to when we can get rid of these tents. We can get rid of these earthly bodies, the flesh that is warring against the spirit within us. And whether you've been following Jesus for a few days or a few decades, you're at war. And the longer you follow Christ, the more you need the sword of the spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. You need the spirit to be able to have victory over the struggle against sin. But know this, our hope will one day be realized because Christ himself has secured our victory through his death and resurrection. There is coming a day in which you're going to fight no more. There's coming a day in which you will struggle no more. There's coming a day in which you will groan no more. There's coming a day in which you will never, ever... (sighs) That's going to be long gone. Frustration, pride, arrogance, impatience, all of it, it's going to be gone. And you'll have a new body. And Christ has secured this future. And you know what's so great is not only has the Lord promised us a future in which all of this goes away, but we have a God who also draws near to us even here and now. We have a God who is near to the brokenhearted. He is close to those who cry out to him. Christ not only knows the suffering that you endure, he himself experienced it. He himself took on the same pain and suffering that we endure so that in him and through him we have victory. And yet God is also doing something through your suffering. You see, suffering and pain loosens your grip on the things of this world and whets your appetite for the glory of what is to come. Believers have hope because our confidence is in a better future. You see, God will often use trials and difficulty to dislodge our white-knuckled grip on the things that are not from him. Or he uses suffering to get us to loosen our grip on things that don't ultimately matter. He loves us so much that he will do whatever it takes, including suffering to, Romans 8, 29, conform us into the image of his son. The reality of Romans 8, y'all, it flies right in the face of the health and wealth gospel. We will not experience ultimate relief from pain in this life. If you're gonna follow Christ, please understand you're gonna suffer. You're gonna face difficulty. Jesus is not the genie who protects you from no suffering. That's not how it works. Indeed, Paul is saying here in Romans 8, this is why we need the Spirit. We have a God who is sovereign over our pain, and he is also compassionate, and he draws near to us and bears the pain with us. He is the one who does not leave us to suffer alone. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He strengthens his children who acknowledge that they're weak. And he works, verse 28, 
all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so when the pain comes, beloved, when you suffer, God gives us hope to point to a better future. Hear me on this. If you do not know Jesus, this world is as good as it gets. If you know Jesus, this world is as bad as it gets. If you don't know Christ today, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Today, cry out and say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I am broken and I am headed for hell. But you love me and you gave your life for me and I'm giving you my heart and my life. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And I'm now going to follow you for the rest of my life. Cry out to Jesus and he will save you. If you already know Christ, put your hope squarely upon him. Let Jesus be the one where you put your hope. Because not only will your hope be your strength, your hope also points to a better future that is to come. Thirdly, what we see in the text is that God's hope requires waiting with patience. Not something I'm very good at. Verse 24. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. You see, one of the ways that God grows us and matures us in the faith is pointing us to look at something that we can't see yet. God is telling you to look at something you can't see yet. If we saw it now, we wouldn't trust in the Lord for who hopes for what he sees So God is pointing you to something that you can't see. He's stirring up an anticipation of what is to come, and so we wait eagerly. So kind of like a couple who can't wait for their wedding day to finally get here. Or like a child who just can't wait for their birthday. Or like a a bruised kid in the back seat who says, are we there yet? Patience. It's coming. It will be realized. But for now, we wait. Throughout the Old Testament, we're going to unpack this more next uh, in two weeks. Throughout the Old Testament, there was hoping, there's watching, there's waiting. It's when is he going to get here? Longing for that final rescue. And then one day, in Bethlehem, the long-awaited Messiah arrived. Born to a virgin and a carpenter. The long far away Messiah appeared. He was born on Christmas Day. Hope has arrived, and his name is Jesus. And now, as God's people, we wait in hope, waiting for the second coming of Jesus because it's secured. It's been promised by God, it's going to happen. And so now we wait, not for a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, but a king who's wrapped in splendor and glory. And it's promised and it's coming. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to do? Well, it's your impact point and it's this. 
Put your full hope in Jesus Christ and look forward to a better future that is promised. A few weeks ago, I was in the grocery store and I overheard a woman on her phone talking to someone in which she sighed and said, I just wish that there was hope. Maybe you're here today or watching online and you're just, (sighs) there's hope. Hope is here and his name is Jesus. Bank your soul upon him. Trust him. There's a better future that's coming.